Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. Hey, it's Greg Hoffman from Take Command. And the best part about podcasts is they create a 25th hour in the day. Whenever I'm commuting, metro, car, even when I'm riding my bike around town, although in that case, one earphone only, safety kids, I'm always listening to podcasts. And this offseason, you can get all the insights, all the news, all the analysis, and Logan and I occasionally make a joke or two in the Take Command podcast on demand so it fits in to your busy schedule. Follow Take Command in the Odyssey app or wherever you get your pods. This is Matt Spiegel, and I can't wait to bring you season two of the PBP, Voices of Baseball. The very best play-by-play voices in the game talk about their craft. It's a job so special that even Joe Buck told us he will probably go back to it. I'm 53, basically 54. I I think it's too early to say nevers at this point in my life. I think at some point I'll get the itch again. Incredible guests sharing great stories from your favorite teams coming this year. Find us on the Odyssey app or wherever you find podcasts. It's time to take command with former NFL tight end Logan Paulson and former Commander's Beat reporter Craig Hoffman. Take Command podcast from Odyssey Sports. Craig Hoffman, Logan Paulson with you. And we're going to get to our preview of the Atlanta Falcons in just a few minutes. Of course, big game this weekend. Bounce back. Uh, Feels like it's been coming forever after Thursday night loss to Chicago, Logan. But we wanted to start actually double-clicking on something we talked about on the last full podcast, which is some of the defensive coverage structures and some of the things that we kind of had questions about that you've been able to do some follow-up work, talk to some people, including uh, your your colleague Fred, Fred Smoot at the Commanders, sure. who obviously played in the NFL for a long time. And we have a little more clarity on it. I think it opens up an interesting conversation about some of the choices that this defense is making and how they can ultimately make the corrections they need to stop giving up explosive plays and be more productive. Yeah. And I think, you know, one of the things that comes out of the game is that, you know, Ron has been very adamant that people need to play the technique correctly and talking with Fred, you know, I, you know, I'm always kind of of the mindset, like you see people doing coverages, playing run fits, using different techniques to get that job done. And there's no like perfect way to do it. And in the in the conversation I had with Fred, I also talked to John Kime, who John we I know we hype up John Kime all the time on this podcast, but he does a really good job of like getting with people who know what they're talking about and fleshing out opinions. So just wanted to give John a shout out. So I talked to him as well. And one of the things that came out is like let's talk about the first Benjamin St. Juice explosive play, which is like the the dig, right? Right. And to me, I was like, it looks like he might be playing the dig, right? Which would make sense. And when Fred saw it, he said he's just being – and one of the other things we, we both mentioned is that he seemed like he was being a little bit too aggressive later in the route. Where he, When he gets beat, St. Juice gets beat, he gets really handsy and grabby and pulley. And so he didn't feel – it felt like he was a little bit out of his bag. And so what Fred said is that what you'd like him there is to be a little bit more aggressive on the press at the line of scrimmage and then create distance with his arm, right? So put the arm on the hip and then run with the guy because and play kind of – outside and i don't remember the exact word in a slight trail technique behind so to me when you look at the clip of benjamin say juiced none of those things are really happening right he kind of misses with the jam he tries to grab him right away it's not a it's not this kind of distance hand on hip which you know you you can envision what i'm talking about you've seen corners do that a thousand times right if the guy break it when you're in that slight trail technique if the guy breaks down his feet you're in a good position. If he takes off over the top, you can run underneath and make a play. But when you get in this grabby posture and pull yourself back into phase and he does the double move, like there's no recourse there. And I said, Fred, how do you know that's what's going on? He said, well, in a single high look, you don't have any help over the top, especially with the, th- you know, you pointed this out with the three receiver side away. Like you're going to kind of be on, yeah, island. on island. So just to, to remind folks, if you don't remember, it was a three by one. So three receivers to the the offense is right. DJ Moore is to the left, matched up one on one 
with Benjamin St. Juiced. And there is what happens is they show a too high look at the snap. And that's actually something else that we talked about or we didn't talk about is the Bears comments that some of the rotations were pretty lazy um, yeah. between the safeties. So I, whether Justin Fields knew at the snap this was going to happen or not, who knows? But uh, Cam Curl rolls down as a plug player. So kind of that 10 yards uh, off the the line of scrimmage in the middle and then Derek Forrest is on the other side as the single high safety but he's kind of shaded away from DJ Moore's side on the left yeah and so you know that was just a really interesting kind of technical breakdown I thought from Fred and John when I talked to John he kind of supported some of those thoughts like maybe not with the technical acuity but just the idea that he's being overly aggressive and so I think when I hear this you know we were talking about before the show started like this idea of like do your job do what you're supposed to do Nothing about that play. Like, the effort is there. Like, he's trying hard, Benjamin St. Just. Right. But the technique the technique that they want to employ doesn't appear to be there, at least based on the description from Fred and what John has said from the people that he's talked to, you know, former corners, former, former safeties, all that stuff. So I think that's really important for fans to understand because, like, you know, on, our, on, our, on, the, on the command center show, one of the things that comes up all the time is they didn't want it. They, they weren't playing hard enough. They weren't – it wasn't important to them. And I have a fundamental like issue with that because obviously like they're playing hard, but they're not doing it correctly. I, I think that's the right. thing that comes out to me. It's like like St. Juice on this play, he's running hard, he's trying to be physical, he's he's gotten a, he's gotten a bad relationship. That happens. You you, you know that the technique isn't perfect at the start, but the effort is there. It's just the the technique and and what you're supposed to do doesn't appear to be correct. And you're playing against a very good player in DJ Moore, so it's not always going to be perfect. But I thought that was important to just kind of make that correction on that specific play. And then the other play is the touchdown later in the, in the cover two look. Yeah. And no, th this is the touchdown on that opening drive to yes. DJ Moore. Yeah. And to me, like, you know, we were saying Percy's kind of playing eyes here. He's playing the weakness in the coverage and he's doing like, I thought he was doing as an offensive player. I'm like, especially with a quarterback like fields, who's very kind of one read centric one read, let's get the ball out. Like you can play eyes there. But then I was talking to Santana, who said he talked to Ed Reed about it. And, you know, um, decent, he, uh, decent guy he, to talk to. He knows what he's doing. Right. And what he said is like what, what Ed Reed said or what Santana said Ed Reed said was that as he's dropping, he needs to stay square. Even if he knows that's where the ball is going, the second the quarterback cocks to throw, that's when you need to make the decision to move. It's not on eyes. It's on the body posture and the plant of the foot. And I thought that was a really interesting insight because if he kind of continues, I think you pointed this out, if he continues to drop kind of back to that corner while staying square, and and Fred said this, if he's deeper, if he's deeper, because he's to the three, it's, a, it's an empty set, so there's two receivers to the offensive right and three receivers to the offensive left. If he's deeper in that, in that Tampa two and can play downhill, because I said there's no, really no way you can play both. He's like, he can't play both. Because he's so shallow and he has to turn and open to either the to either Moore or the the seam, which I think is um, the other guy number eleven for them. Uh, it might have been Komet, actually the tight end, but no, it, it, no, it was, it was a, no, it was Mooney. You're right, you're yeah, right. It was eleven. It was on the other side, so it's speed there. He's yeah. like on that. He's like he's got to play back because you don't want to have to open either way. You want to be able to play downhill to the football on this kind of plant foot when the arm cocks back. That's when I make my break, and I thought that was just a really because he's like because. Tana was saying, you know, that Ed had alluded to this idea that he had he had turned his hips to the seam that was going uh, that that Cody Barton was matching, and that you can't get back to the other guy either way, right? As much as you want to make a play there, stay square longer, get some more depth, and then when that ball cocks back, you run a four three, run a four three to the football, and I and I just thought that was again, guys were like that he's playing hard. He's 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 trying to to make a play in the red zone. I get it. The weakness in the coverage in Tampa two is that that is Cody Barton on a receiver. But do your technique correctly, according to Smoot, according to Kime, according to Santana, and according to Ed Reed. And so I'm I'm you know I'm a guy who's going to give him the benefit of the doubt. But I, I just thought it was important to kind of touch on some of that stuff and say it's not the effort necessarily. It's putting yourself in in a position from a technical standpoint to make the play. It's like. For example, like there's so many times where you're watching routes, you're watching run blocking technique because I'm pretty adept at identifying that stuff. And you're like, you just set yourself up from failure from the jump by not taking the correct footwork. And that's what's happening here, but on a bigger scale because there's more space involved. And I just thought, you know, we talked about all the plays that happened and we can go through all of them. We don't have time for that. But I just thought those two plays alluded some of that, alluded to some of that 
stuff that Ron's been talking about with young younger football players. Percy obviously is, is young and um, and just doing what you're supposed to do. And I, and I just thought that was something that I wanted to get corrected for our listeners. Yeah, no, I think that's great. And that's why people come here is for the technical aptitude and, and the kind of detail oriented stuff. I think on a bigger picture, like it opens up a question that I was asking yesterday on the show, which I was, uh, I was, I don't know. I was in a punchy mood yesterday. Uh, and then I saw the, I do, I do. And, uh, then I saw the do your job sign and I was like, this is going to set up these two factors. Uh, one, one plus two is going to equal a nice opening rant to the show. So if you want that, <laughs> go to the Hoffman Show podcast feed or uh, my YouTube page at Craig Hoffman, and you can see the full rant of why I think this signage is very silly. But it goes to the point like there. And what I said in the rant, which I think is absolutely true, is like there are shreds of truth in that. Um, yeah. Maybe even like a gigantic chunk of truth. Like, hey, man, just do your job. Like, do the yeah. thing that they teach you to do and it will go better. My problem is I do not think based off of the history of this staff um, going back four years of slow starts now that they do a very good job, certainly soon enough of making players understand exactly what their job is and why they need to play it a certain way. Because if you like the way you just explained it to me is fairly clear. I've got to stay square here so that I can see both routes. So what about that piece of information is not getting through to Percy Butler? And is it on Percy Butler or is it on the coaches? And like, we can't know the answers. We just know that it didn't get through. Um, There's also like, there's a lot to think about because like you said, there's all these reasons why what he did is smart. Like, hey, I'm playing the, the weakness of the coverage. Like I'm covering for my guy, Cody here. Like, you know, I got Kendall Fuller over there that that is going to make this a difficult throw. Kendall doesn't wind up drop. Like, Kendall plays the flat pretty flat. Like, do you wonder which in is, that situation? Which is like, what he's supposed to do. Like, when right, I talk But, like, to, in the situation, yeah. does, does Percy think, Keeper. like, oh, maybe Kendall's going to drop off? It's third and 14 from the 20. Like, yeah. how flat does he need to be? Like, these are the types of things that, like, you wonder from both a schematic and a teaching standpoint, like, what kind of larger principles sure. are at play here in terms of situational awareness? How much does it shift? And all of a sudden, what a player's job is on any given play can become kind of muddy. And sure. I think that was the brilliance of that phrase with Belichick and why it was so good with him. Like Greg Popovich was the same way in the NBA. Steve Kerr has been great at this with the Warriors. Like, sure, those guys all had talent. Um, obviously, you know, Belichick had Brady and then all those defensive dudes, um, you know, Popovich won five titles with Tim Duncan. Um, you know, Steve Kerr's got Stephen Curry. Like talent helps, but I think all those coaches that employ kind of the do your job mantra that succeed, what the superpower actually is, is making it incredibly clear what each well, guy's job yeah. is and setting them up within that job to succeed. And that's where I think some of the disconnect is and why hanging a sheet of paper that says do your job isn't actually going to solve anything, even though it might get you a little bit closer because there is a larger emphasis on trying not to sure. do too much. And, and again, we, we don't know. I don't, at least I don't know. You might have more insight on this than I do. Like a more comprehensive, that might be a comprehensive thing throughout the building. Like that might be in the team room for the coaches as well. Like it, yeah. it could be a, an organizational thing. Right. But uh, to your point, like getting the stuff communicated is, is like the crux of coaching, you know? And I, and like, we've talked about, you know, you coach and I coach, and I will say that one of the things that about coaching at the high school, that's been super illuminating is that it's different. There's more information to get in under this kind of crazy time constraint. And what I, one thing that I do notice, and I just, you made me think of it right now is you can install something like I can put in something, but coaching the detail of it is something entirely different. So like, just as an example, like we put in a concept that's a three by one. So three receivers to the right, tight end to the left. And we put in like a stick concept and we installed it. But then I had an epiphany probably like two weeks ago. It's like, I installed this, but I didn't tell the quarterback how the flat player was going to play. I didn't tell the quarterback. I didn't tell the receiver what the flat player was going to do. I didn't tell the quarterback or the receiver how the safety was going to react or the mic was going to push through. I didn't tell them what to expect. And I think that that is the thing about coaching in the team environment that is drastically different. It's you are not, you're not installing the play. You're prepping them. You're giving, because I thought about Kyle. I was like, what did Kyle do that was so special? Or Sean, even Jay to a certain extent, like good coordinators, is they were able to tell you they are going to play this coverage to this look, these two coverages. One's going to look like this. The other's going to look like this. The ball should go here versus that coverage because this guy's going to do this. And I thought that 
even though that doesn't seem like a big deal, it sets you up in a really nice way to kind of lay a foundation to say, I, on this route, am expecting one of two things. I'm expecting the Sam to go to the flat or the mic to push through. And this is what I'm going to do for each one of those things. And maybe I didn't see that in my film study, but Kyle saw it, Sean saw it, Jay saw it. And so now I can, when I'm in the game, I'm like, okay, cool. Just got to remember that and execute it. And so I think right. that's kind of what we're talking about is like, it's again, you might've put in, you know, single high man coverage or, or single, single high plug or, or lurk or whatever they're going to call that coverage. But did I detail it up enough to say, Hey, they, on this, on this concept, I need you to make sure that you are extra conservative here because he's going to roll from the three by one, take your time, be patient. You can give him the dig. You can like, what, like, how did I install that? How did I coach that to get the guy thinking about it in the correct way? And we don't, and again, I just want to reiterate, we don't know what the coaches are doing, but it is very, very challenging to have a good position coach that can communicate that stuff at a high level. And, and so to your point, it, it, it not only is it the players, it's the staff. And I think based on the results they've seen over the last, I mean, really, really the Chicago game, because I, I'm, I'm probably in the minority here. I think they've played defensively. Okay. Outside of like five plays in Philly and then a fourth quarter in Buffalo. That was not, that was totally out of well, their and a first quarter and a half against Denver. Like, yeah, that's a good been, point. The, the quarter. Yeah. But, but yeah. I'm saying there's, there's spots where it's, it's there's okay. been chunks definitely when they've been okay. Right. But, it's not just the players. It's not just the coaches. It's like a systematic thing about making sure people know what they're supposed to be doing to your point. Right. The the kind of unsaid part of do your job is like, do your job, but know everyone else's like, don't do everyone else's, but like, you got to know, because if you well, yeah. are like on the, on that play with St. Juice, if you know that who was the, it was Forrest was deep. The, Forrest the single high. Deep safety, yeah. yeah. Like if I know Forrest isn't going to be able to help me, I know I can't get beat over the top. And if I give up yeah. 15 yards on a dig, like that sucks, but it's not going to kill me. I don't want to give up 48 on a, on a dig takeoff. Yeah. So if I know, like, cause in, in my head, like, Oh, we're in single high. Like it's, it's cover one. I think that play. So it's like, you know, Hey, I got, I got safety help over the top. It's like, no, you don't. Yeah. <laughs> I, I know that Forrest is over there. So it's, I, that affects how I do my job. And again, like that's where it gets real muddy and and the do your job isn't so actually as clear as it sounds because it sounds simple but it's if you do your job while knowing everyone else's it clarifies what your job is and that's where i think the disconnect seems to be from sure. guys gambling in bad situations now some guys can just make mistakes like let's not take oh, it yeah. i, I want to be yeah. very clear this is not 100 percent on the coaches um there's is players making bad decisions as well when you're playing but, bad football everybody's culpable like yes. and that's what and ultimately like as much as we want to sugarcoat it and give them the benefit of the doubt, like Thursday, not great. Bad ball. Like, bad ball, right? And I've been a part of games like that. I've had games like that. So, I, you know, there are a million reasons for it, but it yeah, wasn't Anybody great. who's played any sport has had moments where they go, why the hell did I do that? What was yeah, I thinking? Right. And I, and I think the other thing about knowing and doing your job is there needs to be a level of communication. Like that's one thing when I talked to Fred about when he played with Sean Taylor and Laurent and, you know, D'Angelo or whoever the other corner was like one of the things that they did a good job of is communicating those situations. It's like, we're coming out of the huddle. We're walking the line of scrimmage and, and Cam would go, Hey, or, or Smoot would go, Hey man, remember I'm by myself here. Or, or, or Sean would be like, Hey, you're by yourself. I got to help over here on the three by. And it just, that stuff is so powerful and it takes ownership of a whole group to get there. So there are layers to this. There are things that can be done differently. Um, and I, I don't think we're trying to assign blame here. We're just giving, we're kind of reasons and, and, and yeah. like with an onion, right? You pull back the first layer, people say, Oh, the, you know, St. Juice is playing bad. And it's like, well, he's, he's playing hard, but he's, is he playing bad because he doesn't know yeah. what to do or, or whatever it is? There's right. There's a level here, and I think I, the way I phrased it for the last week is like we're on a quest for answers. Sure. Yeah. And these are some of the possible answers, and, we, and, and it's impossible and as, for us to know. And as we get more information, like we'll bring it to you here. So yeah. So stay tuned and subscribe. Stay tuned. That's right. Hey everyone, this is Brett Boone. Would you know it? I've got a podcast going strong in our fourth year. Tune in as I sit down with my friends, some of the biggest names in sports, media, entertainment, for a lot of fun and in-depth conversations. As you know, baseball's been my life. It's been in the family for a long time, but it's a lot more than that here. It's sort of like taking a ride in a golf cart around a beautiful track. 
Join me every week for multiple episodes on the Brett Boone Podcast, available on the Odyssey app or wherever you get your podcasts. Hey, Rob Bradford here. I have set out on a mission with my good friends at FanDuel to prove what I have known for some time. Baseball isn't boring. Now I have a daily podcast to prove it with some of the most notable people in the baseball world screaming baseball isn't boring from the mountaintops or at least agreeing to come on our show. Players, managers, GMs, and yes, even the commissioner of baseball, Rob Manfred. It has been a constant wave of baseball's most powerful voices. So join the revolution. Subscribe and soak in baseball isn't boring. Listen on your Odyssey app or wherever you get your podcast. You'll be glad you did. Take a man podcast from Odyssey Sports. Logan Paulson there. Craig Hoffman here. Make sure you are subscribed on your favorite podcast platform. If you're a listener, Apple Podcasts, Spotify, wherever you're listening right now. Of course, on YouTube, full episodes at uh, 106.7 The Fan. Uh, and I post some clips at Craig Hoffman as well. All right, Logan, let's get into the Atlanta Falcons. And uh, Falcons offense that looked a lot better lot last better. week. Like I would say, uh, you know, coming out of that Chicago game, everyone's like, oh, dang, this sucks. But hey, opportunity for a get right game uh, against the Falcons because they're not very good offensively. And they, they then went out on that Sunday and had their best performance of the year. It is a very unique team schematically. Sure. Uh, fortunately, the commanders have played them multiple years in a row, which I guess yeah. is probably helpful. Um, but they haven't played them with Bijan yet. And all of a sudden they got a, they got a, a brand new toy at running back who does a lot more than just run the football. Sure. So I'd say that high level, I think that the Atlanta Falcons are basically the San Francisco 49ers, just to give you like a comparison. And obviously stylistically, just before yeah, anybody not, goes nuts in the comments, stylistically, they're the San Francisco 49ers, obviously not talent wise. Yeah. They're not the same talent. They don't have the same level of coach. It's, but in terms of what they want to be, they're going to be an outside zone team. They're going to run play action. They're going to run keepers. They're going to um, find ways to get their unique, skill position players the ball in specific situations now they don't have the same like yards after the catch ability that they've cultivated in san francisco obviously in san francisco they got Ayuk, they got samuel they got mccaffrey they got these kind of this plethora of guys that can catch the ball and make something happen this skill position group is kind of drastically different i would say they've got big tall physical receivers like Matt Collins, like everyone's seen that video of him on Instagram. Like he looks like a, a defensive end. He's a big man who's physical, special teams ace, tough guy. Drake London, big, great short area quis- quickness, great at 50-50 contested catches. Kyle Pitts, kind of that freak unicorn, big, huge man who can run really well. Like that is what their skill position group is. And then you got Bijan Robinson, Algiers, uh, Cordell Patterson will be back this week, a big physical athletic guy who, again, kind of fits more in that San Francisco mold of a, mold of a guy who can create, uh, create something after the catch. But that's kind of what you're looking at. And it all, all the whole offense stems off the running game, stems off the play action, stems off the keepers, stems off moving the pocket and finding creative ways to get those playmakers the football. They are, again, I said they're, they're San Francisco. They are San Francisco without a guy who can distribute the football like Brock Purdy. That is the biggest difference right now. And I think last week you saw for the first time Desmond Ritter kind of lean into that role a little bit more and distribute the football better. Get the, call to, get the ball to Kyle Pitts. He was 70 for 71 or 75, something like that. Drake London, I think, was 6 for 85, you know, with a touchdown late in the game to seal the deal. Like, he was giving those guys opportunities in good situations. I will say, despite him playing so well, he still, he gives you opportunities to intercept the football. He, he, he makes bad decisions. He puts it in tight windows. Um, but they don't leverage him too much. They don't leverage him too much in terms of having to make decisions all the time. I will say when you watch that Houston game, Houston, man, they are flying around defensively. Like that D'Amico, Ryan, San Francisco defense is awesome. You know, like they do a great job of like wide nines, running to the football, physical, aggressive, all that kind of stuff. And it's and they were able to stop the run and they put the ball in Desmond Ritter's hands. But I will say, this is this is maybe the most important thing about the Falcons, if there's all this information we just dropped, is Houston was never able to change the game flow. And what I mean by that is they were never able to put them in a situation where they're down two scores and they needed to stop running the ball. So they were able to run the ball right. for all four quarters, even though it wasn't the most efficient thing ever. And 
they were able to um, kind of stay within in, in the pocket of what they wanted to be from a play action standpoint, which again makes easier throws and e- easier opportunities for Desmond Ritter. Like that is what this offense is, and it goes as Desmond Ritter goes. So if you can confuse him, if you can disguise stuff, if you can put him under pressure, like you're going to have an awesome day. Yeah, uh, there's part of me that's excited because Desmond Ritter had maybe the best day of his career, and it's like. I don't think he just like had it click and he's awesome now. Yeah. Like, not that he was incredible last week, but like I'm just like, oh, well, if he returns back to life this week, like maybe this is the turnover game for the commanders. Yeah. Uh, maybe there's some opportunities. And obviously, we're going to see, you know, Percy Butler's going to be out there. Quan Martin's going to be out there. Um, and actually, I want to ask you something about Quan and Forbes on the field together. Uh, don't let me forget that before we get done sure. with this segment. But um, I, I think that the the score thing is huge. Like in this game, your offense is your best defense. If, if Sam yeah. Howell and company can get going, on a fast start and and make put some pressure on Desmond Ritter and this offense to score, um, that's huge. But the problem is early in games. I mean, Denver, uh, obviously Chicago. Yeah. Like part of the reason some of these teams have gotten going offensively is because they've been able to run the football, yeah. and especially they've been able to get to the edge on some of these bigger yeah. plays. And like against an outside zone team, that's kind of terrifying. Like, yeah. This is a big Cody Barton, Jamin Davis game. It's a big Chase Young uh, versus the run game. Um, yeah. You know, I I have concerns there, I, and I think that's rightfully so. I think they're a team that they they live and die they live and die by the sword. And what I mean by that, like teams that run the football, like as part of their identity, are always dangerous to run the football because they can run outside zone. They can run toss crack. Toss crack has absolutely murdered this team. Look at the Bills game. Look at the Broncos. Can we, can game. we break down how they defend toss crack and why sure. it's been so hard for them to do? Like what what are they trying to do and what's been the miss? So yeah. So basically what I'd say is that obviously the commanders, they run a four down front, right? And mm-hmm. so when you're running a four down front, you have four guys to defend. If you just have five offensive linemen, there's five gaps. And so what you're doing in this situation and what the commanders do is what let's start with Houston. Houston does a really good job because they have these crash nines, they have these wide nine techniques. They kind of blow back the edge. So those guys, they're like two gapping, but being by being hyper aggressive, because basically you're compressing the edge enough that you're closing the C gap. So the gap inside the tight end, for example, mm-hmm. while also maintaining control of the D gap. According to stuff that Jack has said and stuff, talked to people about this defense, that is what they want to do here, but it doesn't play the same way because they're they ask the defensive end to be a or to be a little bit more of a read player. So instead of getting these dramatic vertical edges that box the run back in, and when and when you listen to um the the play caller series, like that's one of the reasons D'Amico Ryan's in that defense went to a wide nine. And I and I, and I mentioned D'Amico Ryan's because he was in San Francisco when all this right. defensive innovation was going on because it boxes the offense in. And so if you are going to get a toss crack and that guy's bulleting up the field, it forces the back to bubble in a nice way. Right. And he's like- starting in a wide nine. He's starting from wider. A, a, a wider space. Then the commanders line it up as like a six technique right on the outside shoulder of the tackle. And I think they call it a wide nine, but to me, it, it's not wide. It's like you're, you're, you're really tight. And so that does allow you some flexibility in terms of being able to compress an edge, double gap, like play the inside gap and the outside gap. But I'm also like, if you're going to play a wide nine, play a wide nine. Look at what Cleveland's doing, like with Miles Garrett. Like they do a great job of just saying, hey, go get the football. And one of the keys of a wide nine is you are, you're stopping the run on the way to the passer. And I feel like when you watch teams that are really good at it, watch San Francisco, watch Houston, watch Cleveland, they it looks different than the commander's defense. So I feel like they're kind of in this in-between where they're not playing a true six like you a true read six like you alluded to, but they're not playing a true crash nine. And because of that, and this is just my opinion, because of that gray area, it leads to kind of these moments where it's like it's unclear of how they should play it because you want the benefit of the wide nine, but you're also kind of playing a little bit of a read six. So you get in this weird situation where the defensive end isn't firing up the field. So when you get a crack, now they're kind of, I need to get up the field like I am a wide nine, but I'm not in a position or a mindset to do that consistently. So they usually get walled down. They're not getting enough penetration vertically to make the runner bounce the way you want. So they kind of are in the phase where like, I can't get to where I need to go. So do I fight back out across the guy's face versus bad leverage And I, when I'm actually containing the defense? So that's where I think 
this technique that they're playing at the moment from the defensive ends becomes really muddy from a technical standpoint when it yeah. comes to defending toss crack. I think it's fine versus outside zone. I think it's fine versus powers and gaps and things like that. But I think that because of that gray area, it makes it challenging. It also creates a pretty nasty wash. Like it, it like can, yeah. there's a lot of them bodies in there. Cause obviously you have the receiver coming down to crack. You got yeah. that. You have the lineman who's there. You have the defensive end who's now getting caught, possibly getting pushed into the defensive tackle. It gets real money. There's a ton of bodies. It's hard for the linebackers to scrape over the top. Yeah. Like, and that's where it becomes instead of like, damn, we gave up five yards, which is still not what you want against a run. It's 12. Yeah. Um, and your safety has got to make sure you come down and make a play. So it's obviously this can be a big Percy Butler game well, as well uh, as a run support yeah. player, obviously big cam curl game. Uh, as run support player well to that point i think like one of the things you see is is because of what toss crack does is allows you to out leverage the defense so i've now got a guy out of his gap the defensive end but i've also created really good landmarks or leverages for the offensive line because that tackle now doesn't have to reach the defensive end or, or block him out he can just run straight to the linebacker so the linebacker now has a bad leverage on the tackle. So you really need to make sure that edge is solid versus the toss, toss crack. And it's just been a little bit muddy for my taste um, from a technical standpoint. And you can tell guys are kind of unsure or in between. And then it gets to the corner and Smoot has been – you know, shouting from his milk box for weeks now about how he doesn't need a box. Fred just opens know. his mouth and it's he loud just, enough. But every once in a while, if you listen close enough, he says insightful football stuff. <laughs> Don't tell him I said that. But he says those corners got to come up and cut the tackle, cut the tackle, cut the first puller. Because as much as there's a pile where the defensive end is, the corner has the ability to cut that guy's outside leg and make a pile there and force the ball back to make that run a little bit easier for the linebacker. So mm. there are some things that. And again, I don't know what they're being coached. That's Fred's experience. Obviously, Greg William was was his coordinator, hyper aggressive, different approach, different perspective. But as a, as a guy that was the fir first puller quite a bit in truck and toss crack schemes, I'll tell you the worst thing I could see out there was a corner cutting me down because I want to go smoke the corner. I want to go hit the corner right in the face. He's 160 pounds. Let's go get it. Yeah, you want to drive him out of the sideline and create an alley for yeah. the running back to go through instead of a pile for him to have to jump over. But when he cuts your outside leg, you have to meet the, the, the coaching point is meet the cutter. So I have to drop my head down. We have to go helmet to helmet and make, and it makes a big pile right there. So it just allows pursuit to get there in a, in a, in a way that um, is, 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 is difficult for the offense to contend with. So I think there's a lot of things there in terms of toss crack that's challenging from a schematic standpoint that you see that you saw in the Denver game that you saw in the um, in the in the Buffalo game. Like for example, in the Buffalo game, I'm I'm rambling now a little bit. One of the things that stood out to me is Jamin Davis makes an incredible play on a toss crack, but he's defeating a guard, he's defeating a receiver to get there in time to make the play, and it's just like that doesn't seem like a solution that I want to be living with long-term as a guy having to defeat two blocks and run 25 yards to the sideline to make a tackle. Like it's, uh, that's something they definitely got to get cleaned up, I think. And I think they will um, because you have to in this league or someone's going to, they're just going to continue to run it until it, until it's, uh, until you, until you stop it. So. Yeah, no, it's, it's definitely a challenge and you know, you know, Arthur Smith's the kind of coach that if you find something he likes, he'll continue to go to it. So sure. um, it's going to be challenging. Um, I think one, you know, we've talked about, some of the guys that haven't played at all defensively this year, mainly Quan, who's going to get on the field. Um, I do wonder if there's any struggle in this game, considering the opponent, if we see any David Mayo, um, that could be an mm -hmm. interesting thing kind of to watch a guy who's very, you know, we've talked about David Mayo is a really good football player from the, who, who got born at the wrong time. <laughs> yeah, you know, if he's right. playing in, in 2004, like David Mayo is like, ah, oh, man, what a great middle linebacker. Yeah. Um, you know, he's, he's a good run player. Um, so could he get out on the field if Cody struggles with some Great of those hits? Um, you know, if they want to get a little more speed out there, they could obviously go the Cleek Hudson route. So that's something I think to watch. The question I wanted to ask about Quan and Emmanuel though, um, you know, Wednesday practice, which is all we have to go on uh, for those that don't know, we record this on Thursday mornings, uh, comes out Thursday afternoon, Friday morning. Um, so we haven't had Thursday practice yet, but it looked like Danny Johnson was getting some of the reps uh, sure. ahead of Emmanuel Forbes. And, the last time we saw Forbes and Martin on the field together was the preseason game where they give up a big play miscommunication. Like, I kind of wonder if some of the, the concern about Emmanuel is like, Oh God, we got to play Quan too. Um, like, do you think there's any concern of having them on the field together and get, and, and perhaps there's even more impetus to get a veteran like Danny out there um, in some situations with Quan as they package things together? Um, 
instead of Forbes and, and having that risk of two rookies messing something up uh, from a, a we don't really understand what we're doing yet because we're five games or six games into our NFL careers. No, I think there is, you know, and again, I don't know what the coaching staff is thinking. I'm just thinking based on my experience in the past, like there's always a concern with that. Anytime there's a young football player and who doesn't really know. And like, there's, there's, there's grades to this. Like there's certain young guys who come in and they know yeah, there's, everything. There's a sliding scale. Well. Right. But if there's a guy you're a little uncertain about, like you want to make sure they're in there with somebody who can help them. And like, it's the same thing with tight ends. Like there's very, like, a little bit of it was like this with Jordan, a little bit. You know, he'd come in and be like, wouldn't remember the play exactly or wouldn't remember the motion. And I was there in certain situations. Be like, hey, man, just, you know, you got the – and he'd be like, oh, yeah, I got you. Because yeah. he, he's a smart guy. He studies a lot, but he's got a lot in on his plate. So it's just nice to have someone in there that can help you out. So uh, I think um, in, in this situation, yeah, you want people who – you don't want the blind leading the blind is basically what I'm saying. Like you see this a lot with like offensive linemen too, guys that are working together quite a bit is if there's two young guys, it's worrisome. If there's a young guy and a veteran, that guy, that veteran's always there to be like, Hey man, remember bang combination, this is what we're going to do. And he can communicate and kind of get those techniques, techniques coach. So I, I think, yes, if I was a coach, which I'm not a coach for the commanders, I would be concerned about it. And it's something yeah. that in the week I would want to make sure I felt good about when whether and whether that means Danny plays more or Forbes play, you know, whatever that rotation is. But I want to make right. sure that there are two guys there. One of those guys knows what the heck is going on. Yeah. So I wonder if it what it winds up being because they do package this stuff sure. like, you know, is a manual out there in true nickel where it's a manual St. Juice Fuller and two safeties, Butler and and Curl. And sure. then when it's Buffalo is Danny out there um, Maybe. and whether he's in the slot or whether he's outside. Um, I would think you'd probably put him in the slot and just leave Benjamin outside, but you know, they put, they put Danny outside last week and yeah. we'll see point is like, there's a way to do that where Emmanuel is still playing. He's not fully benched, but you take yeah. some off of his plate. You also know now you've got to get Quan out there cause you lost Forrest and Reeves, but you don't ever have them out there together. Um, mm -hmm. so that's something that I think that's interesting to watch, uh, this weekend. All right. What I mean, else? Uh, the other thing is you don't want it yeah. to be too complicated. From a personal standpoint, you don't, you know, what I mean, yeah. you want to find the sim your simpler, easy is better. And whatever that looks right. like, I think is right. the, but is those, the they treat those as different packages. So like, they I do. don't actually yeah. know so how complicated be, that yeah. is. Like, yeah, Hey, right. we're in Buffalo. All right. Danny's out there. Um, you know, I guess it becomes complicated for, for St. Juice. Like, Hey right. dude, where are you on these? But they've been doing, but like to your point, they've been doing that this whole season. He's been in yeah. and out. He's been bumping inside outside. So he's had a lot on his plate for sure. Yeah. Um, all right. What else from this Atlanta offense is worth noting before we uh, see how Sam Howell and company can attack the the Falcons defense? Yeah. Um, it's we, we talked about the playmakers. We talked about the game flow. I really think that's the crux of what's going on here with them. Um, Kyle Pitts seems to be playing better. I, I, he looks like he's still not quite 100 percent, but like good in the run game. Better, And they got him more involved last week. Yeah. And I think a lot of that is due to Desmond Ritter just playing better football. So um, uh I, I, I kind of wonder, I talked to Fred about this a little bit, Tana, like, you know, they've got some big, big receivers. Like, how does that affect you? I think that's probably a favorable matchup for, you know, St. Jude's. I think Fuller, because, uh, Kendall, because there's not like a lot of speed on the field, you feel a little bit better about it. Um, so I think that's probably a good matchup. The offensive line is one I find really interesting. They're starting a rookie left guard, Matthew Bergeron, and that's a matchup. Yeah, that's a, that's a, that's a matchup that I think John should be able to exploit. And I think, you know, Jake Matthews, good good left tackle, probably a top twelve guy at the position. Bergeron, center's okay. Chris Lindstrom's probably the best one of the best guards in football at the moment. So him versus Payne will be really interesting. And then Caleb McGarry is kind of one of these like hulking, super run blocking right tackles. Like he's might be the best run blocking right tackle in the NFL. So watching him against Montez, who again is one of the best edge setting defensive ends in the NFL, I think will be a really interesting matchup. And that's something that they're gonna do a lot in this game like they're going to run the ball they're going to be physical and really it just comes down to th this is this is something i wanted to point out too just from a mindset standpoint this is a team that plays hard they play physical mm. they play tough so you know all this talk about you know guys not being ready or guys not wanting it like this is a game where you shut people up about that if you come out and you say this team is trying to be physical. They're trying to punch us in the mouth. And it's not just the old Lions punching people in the mouth. Algiers runs maybe the hardest running running back in the NFL. He runs hard. You know, they have a fullback, Kendall Smith. Like, he, he's an excellent blocker. He's an excellent pass catcher. They got big receivers who block. 
you know, like they are going to come after you and they are going to draw like Johnu Smith is one of the best blocking tight ends, tight ends in, in the NFL from like a physicality standpoint. So you, they're going to draw a line in the sand and they're going to say, are you going to step to this? Or are you going to back up? And I really think if, if, if fans say that this isn't important, they don't care about this team doesn't care. Like this is going to be a really good litmus test for that because it's going to be a physical tough matchup. And it's it's gonna it, it's gonna feel like a very traditional football game, and what I mean by that is something from like the late '90s, early 2000s, okay. where it's like we're gonna we're gonna do what we do, you're gonna do what you do, and let's see what happens. So I, I think that I'm kind of excited for that matchup because I think it's gonna help kind of inform like where this defense is at. Yeah. Um, so a couple of notes real quick. Uh, I was, I was doing some prep this morning and PFF in their daily email sent out their offensive line rankings. Atlanta comes in at sixth. You're talking about wow. one of the best, wow. uh, in the league. Uh, but Caleb McGarry was banged up last week, left the game. He He's play? officially questionable. Okay. Um, Arthur Smith said it's nothing major, but it's still unclear whether or not he's going to play. So we so will obviously see on that. The backup fun story about him, uh, storm Norton. Is that his name? Storm? Yeah. Uh, storm, <clears throat> Storm Norton. So he played the last time I saw him play extended time was when he was in uh, San Diego or LA, the LA chargers Montez sweat had two sacks and a forced fumble against him. So Montez sweat wants that guy to play so bad. And I think if he does play, <laughs> that's going to be a, um, a tough, they're going to run left a lot. Yeah. That's going to be a tough matchup for, for storm, but old storm Norton. Yeah, exactly. So, all right. Uh, Take Man podcast from Odyssey Sports. Greg Hoffman, Logan Paulson. Uh, don't miss us Sunday. Take Man pregame show. We're live at Tap Sports Bar, MGM National Harbor. Uh, that is a 10 a.m. start on the radio and on the YouTubes. Uh, and then, of course, you can come hang out with us starting at 11 when the doors open out there in Oxon Hill. All right, to the offensive side, Logan, uh, this Atlanta defense has been pretty solid uh, for yeah. much of the year. They also were helped a lot by the style of play that they have on the other side of the ball. They're sure. not on the field nearly as much because the time of possession and how much they run it uh, is helpful uh, to stay fresh. Um, so that's that's the, the good news for the Atlanta defense. Uh, the bad news is they've got a lot of firepower to deal with. Um, and it seems like, the, I don't know, the Washington offense is going to have some drives in a game where yeah. they are they are clicking Rolling, yeah. um and the question is can they score before something goes wrong on them uh but what do you see defensively from atlanta um so this, it was, i think a bit of a different look than anything washington's seen this year yes yeah, so this was a really interesting film study because you're watching the film and you're like i know this defense like i know it i can't pinpoint exactly like the coverages aren't the same and then i was like who what's going on here so i looked it up and the um the defensive coordinator was the d-line coach in new orleans and when that when I read that, I was like, oh, that makes 100% sense. Like, they play a New Orleans style of football, a New Orleans defensive style of football. And what I mean by that is they are fast and they are physical. They're not overly complicated. They don't bring a ton of pressure. But they, what they, they're good at what they do. They don't mess around. They play hard in a way that is, is unique to that system. Like, talk about guys that know exactly what they're supposed to do. Like you can tell they know exactly what they're supposed to do. They run a lot of two-man, or they ran a lot of two-man against Houston, and makes a lot of sense. New Orleans, I think they had like a 40% two-man uh, execution rate like in last year, so that's a big part of what they want to do. They're very aggressive with it. They get up and press. They're, and, and so it, that, that should just inform the style of defense you're going to see. And um, I think obviously in, in, uh, when they, for me, when I look at this, I say, well, if they're going to play two-man, you should run the football. And if they're going to play two-man, you should either spread them out to create space or get into tight bunches to create picks. So I think that's what you're going to see from them. I think they've got some really good players. Bates, the safety number three. Like Great every player. time you watch the game, it's like that's an excellent tackle. Who made that tackle? Oh, three made that tackle. Oh, that's an excellent play on the football. Who made that play? That's number three. So he's a guy that jumps off the screen when you're watching and is going to, I think, bait a young quarterback into making a mistake in this game. Like that's just what like his skill set dictates. I'm not saying that that Sam's going to have a bad game, but Sam has to be acutely aware of the type of player that he's dealing with in the back end. So um, really aggressive, very physical, very confident, much like the offense, right? They're like they are here to play football. Put your mouthpiece in, buck your chin strap. Let's go have a good time. And then on third down, 
again, they're not doing anything overly complicated, but they do throw in these really unique coverage structures. And when I mean unique, I mean unique. So for example, like in uh, against Houston, on the second or third um, third down of the game, they play man underneath. They drop a safety like 20 yards. He's almost off the screen in the all 22. And then they take the two safeties and they drop them into lurk and they just match the quarterback's eyes. So they're able to flood zones and there's really nowhere to go with the football. And the reason they're able to do that is because they play a lot of drop eight. So drop eight means that instead of rushing four, they're dropping out into coverage. And again, they do blitz, but it's not like this crazy kamikaze blitz look. It's like, I think in the Houston game, they blitz 25 to 27% of the time. So not a lot. Um, and they don't have a high blitz rate. They don't have a high success rate on blitzes, but they're just a fast physical bunch of dudes that throw in enough wrinkles and know what they do on a down to down basis to be problematic. So that's what I think of this group. I wonder if they blitz more because everyone seems to blitz this team more because the commanders don't handle blitz as well. Um, but it's also funky because they play a three, four front. Um, so they, you've got a little bit of a different, uh, at least that's how they're, they're listed. I know Um, they're listed as a three, four. And so I was expecting three and they have three, four personnel. Like, so, but when you turn on the film, they're in four down a lot and it's like a, an unusual four down it's more, like a more of like a nickel type of situation or nickel situations for sure and then against houston it's not you know your two fours so you know your tackles play or your ends playing over the tackles and your true nose it's they're playing like a 55 front so think old like baltimore ravens where the sam linebackers on the ball the defensive ends in a five technique so in between the tackle and the tight end they have a three technique to that side. Then they have a backside shade. So they've kind of stacked. It looks like there's they're covered up in every gap across the front. And that's a little unusual. And that's how Baltimore used to play those fronts. And it makes it challenging to, to find combinations in the run game. So they, they understand where they're weak in that cover two structure. And so they've put this front in to basically say, like, we're going to match up. We're going to have a whole bunch of one-on-ones. One of our guys is going to win. And if they don't win... Like in the Houston game, for example, they they give up explosive runs because it's literally like there's a line of people, one linebacker. If you block the linebacker, no one's going to make the tackle except for Bates, who's, you know, in cover two, he's 15 he's yards down the, the ball, field. Yeah. So, you know, that's a tough, tough thing to do. But that that's kind of, again, to your point, like they're listed, everything. They have three, four personnel, the whole deal. But it, it's not your traditional three, four structure. Yeah, and this is why, you know, you hear – coaches and like Sam Howe when he's at the podium talk about like fronts all the time, like what they're listed out is on paper. Like how does it actually play? Um, And you know, that changes week to week and you know, that's where EB has got to try to figure out what's the best way to attack it. Um, And I do wonder if there's going to be more running this week. Um, Maybe. And that, that comes from Ron Rivera's comments. Um, You know, basically since the enemy was hired, he has said like anything that's offensive question wise from, from the press, it's been like, uh, you know, whatever EB thinks is best. And for the first time this week, he was like, yeah, I think we need to find some balance running the football. Um, and it's kind of around all the the stuff with Sam where he's taken all these yeah. hits and it's like, oh, he only, he only took five sacks. That's a good game. Um, yeah. That can't be, that can't be the standard. And so I, I do think from both helping out the defense, um, which could use some of the same help that Atlanta's defense gets yeah. um, to, making sure that there's not too much on Sam's plate to not exposing Sam to as many hits. Like I do wonder if Ron's going to start. And I think this is a good thing. Um, I know everyone's like whatever EB says all the time, but like if Ron leans on EB a little bit to say like, Hey man, we got to get one. We got to get B Rob the ball more because he's one yeah. of our best weapons. Uh, and he's not touching the ball enough. And two, like we got to play a more team game. I'm down with running the football a little bit more and, and a team, even if they've got some tricky fronts like that, that definitely no. presents a different challenge. But like if they play a lot of too high, um, that's just not a, like the numbers are in your advantage. You just got to figure out how to block it up with the funky fronts to, to be assignment discipline and take advantage of it. Yeah. Like for example, Houston had a fullback in and it's literally like everyone just blocked their guy up front and then the fullback blocked the mic and then there's nobody for the running back. So mm-hmm. the second they broke through that line, uh, that weird kind of front it's not a weird front it's you know it's a it's a run stopping front once you get through the defensive line and the fullback blocks the mic there's, there's nobody there there's nobody that's, there that's what happens when, when too high yeah correct so i think um i think that's definitely something you want to see also i think again going back to the game flow thing this team is not they shouldn't run away from you from a score standpoint so that's mm. one thing as a coordinator you can kind of keep that in your back pocket and say i don't need to keep pace with buffalo I don't need to keep pace with 
Philly, for example. And I think you saw a more balanced game flow in the Philly game from EB in terms of runs and passes because they got a lead. They can He can be a little bit more conscientious and conservative for that stuff. And I think this game lends itself to that. I don't know how they're going to run the ball. Like, you know, obviously Houston, they had a fullback. They got all this stuff going on there. I don't think they're going to do that. When I look at how they played empty, for example, in their two-man, it creates a lot of space to get out of that weird front. So I think maybe that's how they run the ball, like from offset gun runs and, and finding space in that way because it's still two-man. It's just spread out a little bit more. So take yeah. advantage of that. So I think um, we'll, we'll see how they choose to do that, but I definitely think running the football versus these split safety structures should be a bigger priority this week especially. Yeah, I, I think that's smart all the way around. Uh, we'll see, obviously, um, you know, Terry's had uh, some days against Jeff Okuda in the past, his former yeah. college teammate. So, like, you like some of the matchups on the outside for sure. Um, but can you uh, can you take advantage of, of running the football for all the reasons that we've talked about? All right, anything else uh, from, from this game that is worth flagging? Yeah, I mean, uh, we mentioned the offensive line. Uh, there are matchups. I think. I think this week the offensive line, outside of uh, Grady Jarrett, it's it's good, a good defensive front, but not great outside of him. In the back end, I think you mentioned Akuda. AJ Terrell is obviously a good football player. Yeah, he's really good. Their nickel, I forget his name at the moment, is a very good football player. So, you know, Fred was saying because those coverage guys are pretty good. Is it you know a Deami Brown, Curtis Samuel, Logan Thomas? Um, you know, even Gibson game, who's going to draw a matchup in one-on-one coverage versus a linebacker or Brian Robinson. Like, I think that's really good insight by him. And I think, again, in those man situations, spread them out, find your best matchup, let that guy win. So I think you might see something like that. Yeah, definitely. All right, uh, that is our show. For more preview, if somehow this wasn't enough, and even if it was, you just want more, uh, we can talk about it on Sunday. Uh, the Take Command pregame show is live on 106.7 The Fan and the Team 980 on the radio and on YouTube starting at 10 a.m. Uh, and then, of course, it's it's you can come watch us in person. Uh, it's live at Tap Sports Bar, MGM National Harbor. So we will see you guys then and there. Well, we will be back for our postgame show this week. It'll probably be a little bit later. Uh, that's going to be news to Logan, so I'm going to confirm a time before I say it on the uh, on the podcast here. But I got something Sunday afternoon uh, so that we're not going to be able to go 90 minutes after kick, but uh, be a little bit later. But we will have a live stream, and we will make sure to put it out on social media uh, when that is going to happen. So. Uh, we will see you then for podcast land. We'll see you on the radio before. Uh, hope you enjoyed the show and uh, leave a comment on YouTube or leave a review for us in your favorite podcast app uh, to let us know what you thought. Unless it's me, then don't do that. All right, we'll see you the, uh, next time. I'll take care.